I'm Dan Kurtzke, and tonight we're taking a look at Green Lantern Mosaic number 13. This is the the John Stewart solo series from the early 90s. Uh, this is well, this issue picks up right where the last issue left off. Remember, the last time I said this was the first time we got an actual multi-part story in this book. Actually, I called it a two-parter last time, and that wasn't accurate. So we'll go multi-part, but we'll talk about that later. And if you remember, last issue ended with with a small band of aliens terrorizing a human town, dress and and the aliens were dressed in in KKK robes, and which John found ridiculously funny. And and you know what? If you, if you look at that last page, it it is it really kind of is. It's it's still wrong and awful, but it's still funny. This issue, you know, it picks up right in the middle of that that riot, and and you know, right off the bat, this issue stands out from the rest of the book. Not only because it's it's you know it's the first part two of anything we've had in this whole thing, but it's told from the perspective of one of the peepers. You know, remember they're the the race of little guys. Their faces consist of of just horde of eyeballs it's it's bizarre you can tell whoever came up with the visual concept for this thing I don't know if it was Collie Hamner or someone else they just had silly fun with it <laughs> um and these are these are the creatures that John has been you know he's been using as his kind of living surveillance system around the mosaic you, you get nervous to do bad shit when when that many eyes are on you you know it's a it's a whole principle of you know you'll behave if you think you're being watched like anybody who saw the first clerks movie when they were just kind of hanging out behind the counter not paying attention to the store but they put like a big sign up that says you know please don't steal like <laughs> i haven't seen the movie in a long time it, it was i'm getting details wrong but you you know what i mean um <laughs> anyway so yeah this is this is told from the perspective of a peeper, for the most part. We j- we jump to two other characters eventually, but but John Stewart is actually very he's he's only in like three pages of this book, which is very interesting. It's a nice change. It's kind of like the issue where they focused on uh, introducing the Mosaic Kids, except then it was still humans. This time we have we have a POV character who's very very alien. And it, it turns out it was, he was the one that organized this whole this whole riot because this this peeper in particular is really he's he's just done with this this whole mosaic thing. He wants off Oa, and he wants it now, and he's not content to sit around and wait for John Stewart to do it. So he's come up with what he thinks is a plan that will get them off of Oa, everybody off of Oa one way or another and actually this whole this whole you know donning of the robes and getting aliens to go with you and 
and just attack human civilization. Like, this, this is basically just a big diversion. It's a big, fiery lump of chaos that he knows Jon Stewart will, will involve himself in and devote the majority of the night to dealing with so that he can sneak off this peeper, he can sneak off and gather the allies and the resources he needs and basically set his trap. Uh, the peeper's plan is basically, uh, it's, it's a simple plan. I mean, a peeper, it has no, it's it's got no face but eyes, okay? So it can't speak. All of this communication is telepathic. And it also, it makes me wonder if the peeper is telepathically influencing the other other aliens represented in this riot or not, but I could believe either way. But this peeper wants to basically mentally control John into sending a distress signal just out into the universe and bringing in anyone who will listen to Oa to shuttle people home by any means necessary and you know he can't do this as is because if there's one thing this book has shown us about John Stewart's mind is that he's fairly adept at mental combat and manipulation via the ring so so if the peeper tried it John would be able to oppose him and it probably wouldn't work out but the peeper himself like he cannot physically incapacitate John Stewart in any way like ring or no ring he's just not going to be a physical match so he needs help. So he appeals to one person he knows for damn sure <laughs> wants the exact same thing and and is willing to do whatever it takes to get it. He tracks down Rockwell and basically says to him, look, here's what I want to do and you're gonna help me do it. I don't even have to control you because you're just... You want it as bad... Look, you don't want to be around these other species any more than we want to be around you. So let's just cooperate for five minutes and get off this rock. It's basically what their plan is. And they, they pick up some some Amazons along the way. I, I They haven't really come into the spotlight much here, but they're the... Well, I'll, I'll go more in depth on them in a minute. Um, so yeah, while John and Kelly, one of, the, one of the Mosaic kids, while they're dealing with the riots and putting out fires and tending to the wounded and actually the body can't because people died in this this riot this was kind of awful um while they're dealing with that the peeper um rockwell and a pickup truck full of amazons are making their way to rose's house where they basically say you know you're going to do what we say or we're going to kill you and your son and say a couple hours later maybe less maybe more i don't know Again, 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 time passes kind of wonky on the mosaic. John goes to check on Rose just to make sure the the violence hasn't spread that far. And as soon as he walks into the house, he gets punched out by an Amazon. And he's laying there unconscious on the floor as the bad guys move in. Like I'll, I guess I'll put bad guys in air bunnies because that kind of deserves it. And they're about to get underway with their plan. Um, okay, that's that's the plot of the issue, and that that also explains one third of the factions that are important to this issue. That being the peeper, the this one solitary peeper who's who's the instigator for this. He sees what's in front of him, and he's kind of putting the pieces together to get them off the mosaic. Okay, 
Another interesting thing to come out of this issue is they further delve into the character of Moses Rockwell. Because you remember last issue, he, you know, he, yeah, he, you're blatantly not supposed to like him at all, and I don't like him at all. But they did not paint him as the stereotypical evil racist KKK guy. You know, he, he seemed to. I want, I want to describe it as reasonable, but there's, there's really no, there's really no way to say that about someone who's doing what he does and affiliates himself with who he affiliates himself with without feeling like my skin is starting to peel off by itself. But uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this because this is, well, all right, while, while fleeing the, the riot, Rockwell and some other, some other guys, some other, uh, of his clan buddies, they're running out across the desert and you, you see these, these kind of beautiful blue orbs just kind of floating through the air and, and you would almost want to write them off as just this lighting effect or maybe there are moons out, but it turns out these are sentient creatures too. Um, they're called, no, oh, the peeper just refers to them as brain drainers. They basically they they eat your neural activity, uh, and they they come up on you. They fly through the sky. They come up on you, and they simulate your neural activity by way of making you remember stuff. And as that's happening, they kind of devour your mental energy. It's it's a very it's a very out of this worldy sort of plot device, basically just to just to have an excuse to give us this, like a three or four page flashback narrated flashback into Rockwell's entire family history but you know it's effective it even tints it nice and blue um and like I think I said I'm trying to remember if I put it this way in the last episode or not but this does a good job of explaining why even though it's still blatantly wrong you can you can see why Rockwell would think he's right based on his his side of the story as as is informed by his past you know the Rockwells his ancestors they were they helped found America and build it from the ground up and as time passed America changed and more people came in and the focus of of society and industry shifted and and his family felt like it was being kind of left behind or thrown to the slaughter in wars, whereas all of the the effort and energy and resources were being put towards helping out helping out minorities who were settling into America. And I mean, I, I think it's very significant that Rockwell lost his father in World War II, and his mother remarried to an abusive man who, you know, who smacked him around a lot, and and all he could tell himself all the way through was, you know, it's, it's because America didn't look out for its own. In his head, take it back to everything we've been saying about Mosaic, about his view of the Mosaic, and it's the whole, the whole case of, this is what integrationism means to him. This is the result of it in his eyes, based on his childhood experiences. These are the things in his life that kind of informed him to think that all right, you have to keep white Christians over here. You have to keep black people over here. You have to, or maybe it's, it could just be as simple as, as 
white Christians versus minorities in general, because he really doesn't seem to care one way or another about about African Americans specifically as a group. Now, I mean, remember last issue, he kind of he defended John against some other other guys like him as being as being a sincere. I think even said logical guy. <laughs> Reading these pages, I get the impression that from his perspective, his racism is purely reactionary. And it's interesting to know in here that, okay, he's moving up through life, he got a job as an insurance adjuster or whatever. He works in insurance. And he saw, you know, from his perspective, too much aid going towards minority families and not enough aid going towards white American white American families you know. um, and he started to move neighborhoods based on you know how the what the population of those neighborhoods started to change to be like until he finally found Greenville which then promptly got sucked up by by uh, some nice blue skinned people <laughs> but more so than that uh, it's at, later on in his life he found a God. I am all over the place tonight. I apologize. Uh, a white separatist group in one of the towns he lived in. I don't know if it was Greenville or not. Maybe hell. Maybe this is the basis of the clan on the on uh, the mosaic. Who knows? But he's ma- he's very careful to make the distinction that it's a white separatist group, not a, s- a supremacy group. Actually, his his uh, exact quote is, not a white supremacy group, just a white separatist group. We don't want to do anything bad to minorities, don't even want to dominate them. Which, okay, you can, you can almost see some inkling of good leaking through the cracks there, except his next sentence is that he, you know, in, in fact we'd be happy if if all minorities would just go off to run their own societies and and mug each other to their heart's content so it's uh it it's it's really you almost get the idea that this could have been a good person if his childhood had been a little different if his father hadn't gone off to war if his mother hadn't remarried if if he grew up in a different town it, it's it's the little things like this this character is about the little things and how that can just profoundly warp and build your world view for better or worse um all right i think that's all right that's that's enough for rockwell for now uh but, oh i'll actually there's one more thing i want to throw in there is that you know, despite all of the potential good you could see in him as a person, it's kind of undercut by, you know, he still has that nagging hatred where, you know, on the way to Rose's house, he stops at his home to pick up a gun. And he's he's taking his wife who, you know, still reeling from the loss of their son not all that long ago. You know, she's passed out drunk on the kitchen table and he, he puts her to bed and he grabs... He grabs his gun from the drawer and says, you know, everything will be fine as it was before. I'm going to see to it. And if I eliminate Stuart in the process, so much the better. So he's still very much, you know, he's, he's, he is still very much the bad guy. Let's make no bones about that. But the reason he would want to put a bullet in Jon Stewart 
I don't think has anything to do with the color of John's skin, but just merely the fact that he sees John as facilitating this this ultimate exaggeration of the kind of thing he grew up with that dogged him throughout his entire life. Uh, okay, now back to the Amazons. These, you know, they've come up in passing before. They've never really been a focus of this book, but they... And and they they serve the function, all right, first and foremost, their muscle. Because, all right, the peeper, not really not really qualified to to physically incapacitate John. Rockwell's closer, you know, he's he's a, he's getting better, but you still you you have a power ring to deal with. So the Amazons bring the muscle you need. Actually you only even need one of them for this plan, but you get a truck full. <laughs> but as they're just kinda hanging out before before uh Rockwell and the peeper arrive, they start to sing a song about themselves and about their their history which I, I, again here's this theme of of understanding through music that we've been seeing pop up on the mosaic ever since the tone men issue i wonder if they're ever going to to come back up in the series and help maybe they're the the underlying reason why this keeps happening like maybe they're subtly working their magic you know trying to to open people up a little differently, um, but but yeah, the story with the the Amazons and and it's an interesting song. You know, going back to that letter somebody wrote in a few issues ago, how about how you know you can't you can't really do music in a purely visual text based medium. This one, like you can feel the beat as you read it, even if you're not trying to give it one. It's just there, so. Um, but from this, from this song, you can kind of learn a little bit about their history. How the Amazons, you know, they at first they wanted to, they basically they wanted to to go out and be friends and neighborly and everything with everybody. And this is talking about them back on their home world. I should preface by saying this is pre Mosaic. But the Amazons, they wanted to get, they got on their ships, they went out throughout the universe trying to make nice with everybody they could. But you know, after a while, it just it wasn't working out. It they just they they didn't like what they were seeing. They couldn't stand it anymore. They tried. They gave it an honest to God try. But eventually they just they just receded back to their their own home world. And and I mean realistic realistically the reason why they became part of this this uh this party here to try and break up the mosaic once and for all is because for all intents and purposes the these amazons are isolationists as well they're they're a different kind of isolationists they're actually kind of a sad tragic kind of isolationist because not only did they did they not take to the whole idea of an intergalactic community they also they couldn't i mean they stretched that rubber band too far and it snapped back too far to the point that when they got home they just like the you know we call them amazons but there are males in their species and like that rubber band snapping back too far <laughs> equals the females and the males not even being able to stand being around each other because they're too different so it's literally like it's kind of like drawing a line down the planet ally i love lucy and the males stay on that hemisphere and the females stay on that hemisphere over there and 
the only time they ever co-mingle is is when the mating season basically when when they just cannot resist the biological urge to to get together you know we'll say we'll keep that clean and and that mating season is the ticking clock that's spurring them to action now because you know they've been doing their best to kind of stay isolated on the mosaic as much as they could but at the same time you know it's it's drawing near they they're going to have to mate with something eventually and and the idea of only being able to pick from all the alien races of the mosaic that's so repulsive to them they need they they literally they have a biological need to get off of this planet and go home sooner the better and it's interesting while this song is going on you see more of those big blue orbs in the background kind of so you can see this kind of spurning that on i actually might have said that already i don't even remember <laughs> i'm i'm so scatterbrained this issue um uh, <clears throat> and that's why this group makes for a it's it's an interesting team up cuz there's three groups or they are representatives of three groups you got this peeper you've got a handful of amazons you've got rockwell all of whom don't want anything to do with each other and they all want off this planet for kind of the same reason but different versions of it and it's i can almost laugh because all the time john's put into trying to get <laughs> get species on the mosaic to to work together in harmony and and this, so far this is the most forward productive and an ambitious example of that and it's and it's the one that's going to try and tear the mosaic down for for basically racist reasons oh man uh, i'm trying to think if there's anything else to mention here um i mean the scene on page three where the peeper is just going around through the human civilization uh, civilization it's a town they're through the human town and and he comes across a diner and he he basically stalks the humans that are hiding in the diner it's it's a genuinely creepy scene like the first four panels of that page damn let's see they make reference to the fact that you know again back in episode zero when we covered that story there that hal jordan and the core were able to come to oak like the reason they even knew something was up it was because um uh chaslin the 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 green lantern was basically looks like a big crystal ball with a mohawk and tentacles some of his people are on this mosaic and they were able to they they have this thing called the universal harmonic that when they all get together and they emit this sound into space it can you know chaslin can hear it and he'll come running that's what they did last time and since then the guardians have kind of put up this this dampening field around the planet to keep any kind of transmission like that from getting in and like there's even there's even um there's a tower called the Grand Beacon of the Holy City of Balzadar, which is is basically a giant antenna that's used to broadcast to to anyone who would listen and basically draw in followers and religious pilgrims from all around the universe to this one basically church, big space church. And they, they you know, none of the people tending to it can get it to reach anyone either. Which you know, the fact that they threw that in there makes me think like, okay, they they're probably gonna gonna use that spire, but you know, we'll see. Um, so I thought that was a nice callback to that issue, and 
Um, you know, for a second there, I thought we were going to get some more development with Rose and Toby, but I mean, especially when when two characters cite, you know, both the Peeper and Rockwell cite that all right, John's relationship with Rose is his weakness. That's where we can hit at him. And there's even a panel where we see like a, an image of John kind of throwing a ball to Toby, and you know, you think, okay, you know, we might we may get to see a little bit. No, no, they don't even. There's no time for it. They don't do it. I'm really... I'm kind of... I'm dreading... Well, not dreading. That's the wrong word. But I'm really... I don't have any confidence whatsoever that this series is going to end having done anything significant at all with those two characters. And that's kind of sad. I actually don't even know where they end up after this book. I should be... Well, when the time comes, I'll figure that out. Uh, early on page two, the peeper makes... I thought it was a cool observation. He says, humans as a race have no telepathic perception. Being isolated from the river of consciousness must contribute to their unhealthy mental state. And remember, the universe hates us. <laughs> they basically think we're a bunch of assholes. And, you know, it's kind of hard to argue with them a lot. <laughs> and this argument makes sense coming from a telepath. And, and when you sit down and think about it, the telepathy is kind of a common trait in a lot of of aliens from all over science fiction history, so, so you know, maybe there's something to that. Uh, there is no letters page this time, which I really can't explain, because, like, the two page, like, the page, the two-sided page that would normally be devoted to the letters column is is on one side an ad for Mile High Comics, and on the other side, an in-house ad for the upcoming Bloodlines crossover, which I guess that takes precedent. <laughs> God. Oh my lord. I, I can hear those of you out there who have read Bloodlines cringing right now. <laughs> uh, I mentioned at the beginning the distinction between calling this a two-parter and a multi-parter, which is you know, because it ends on yet another cliffhanger, if you can call it a cliffhanger, but, um, you know, with, like, this is issue 13, so there are five issues left until the end. So, at this point, what I'm kind of expecting is that every every issue that's left is going to be, be one kind of continuous narrative that kind of sees us to the end. You know, the the days of the the one-shot mosaic stories are over which which that makes me kind of sad because i really like that about this book for the first <laughs> more than half of it it was just concerning itself with telling interesting ironic fun insightful crazy tales that you know sure it grouped together they form a larger story kind of but it's more the overall story of a world than a plot and now we've kind of turned that on its head, and it's using elements of the world to further a plot, at basically just because the book has to end. Um, but yeah, no, this was the first time feels like we're marching towards the end of Mosaic, and I I hope they can kind of keep some of the flavor up till the end. But yeah, that was an okay issue. It's, it's weird. You really can't judge this issue on its own because it it's blatantly not its own thing. Again, going back to everything I just said. 
But yeah, no, the cover's nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll post the cover in the talkback thread. But yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Mosaic number 13. Um, I am going to... Uh, I, I haven't checked ahead. I'm assuming we get another letters page next issue, so I'm going to skip the forum feedback until then because I, I, I still I like the idea of making the contemporary issue feedback match up with the issue feedback in the actual book so so um, you know if they don't do that I'll I'll start doing it again myself anyway but, but yeah look for that next time God you know I really I didn't think I would have this little enthusiasm for this issue I actually I actually waited an extra few days. Like, I read this on... Actually, I read this issue, like, the day or two before our last episode went up. And just kind of... Eh, I, I kept putting off recording, and even now I'm recording this Saturday... Or, well, Saturday morning, technically. Friday night, by my standards. Of, you know, the Friday this was already supposed to be posted, so... I just kind of, I don't know, I wasn't really feeling talking about this one, just because there's, I guess, I mean, there's some cool character insights to to these three groups, and, and, uh, and you get the novelty of being guided through the mosaic by an alien for the first time, but, you know, other than that, it was just, it was a middle issue, it was a means to an end gun issue, and, and hopefully the next one will be better, so... You can write me at dan at lanterncast.com or the show in general at lanterncast at gmail.com or call us at 206-202-1159 or go to lanterncast.com for all of our stuff. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, forum links. We're at thecomicforums.com. Scroll down to L for Lanterncast. And I think that's it. Five more to go. See you guys next week.